This is, uh, what date is this? This is February 19th, 2006, and we're discussing Epistle to the Hebrews, Lesson 15. Let's begin in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the time that uh, you bring us together and have given us an opportunity to study your word. I thank you for each one here that has been diligent, Father, and I thank you that uh, as, we, as we approach your word, that you might give us uh, the caution and the fear of those who approach something holy. And Father, that our handling of it must be right and correct. And Father, you might uh, uh, steward and guard our discussion, I pray. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Baruchut Adonai Hamborach, Baruch Adonai Hamborach, Leolam Baed, Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Asher Bakabanu Mikoha Amin, Venatan Lanu et Horatol, Baruch Ata Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen. Bless Adonai who is blessed. Bless Adonai who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Well, lesson 15. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did, speaking of Aaron, did as Hashem commanded Moses. That's from Leviticus 16, 32-34. Underlying points, these are what the atonement made. The tabernacle of meeting, the altar. What does a tabernacle need atonement for? If you did your homework, you know. What, is, uh, what does an altar need atonement for? And did it make atonement? Why did the priests need atonement? Well, the assumption is because they sinned. Well, that's true. But did the tabernacle sin? Did the altar sin? For the people, for the assembly, it's an everlasting covenant. It's a chukat olam, an everlasting covenant. Can you understand it? I can't. But it is. Last week, we learned about the five major korbanot, the sacrifices of burnt offerings. Uh, we learned uh, we learned that they were that only two were sin related. That the first three mentioned had nothing to do with sin. Although the first one, the Korban Allah, the burnt offering, that which is rises up, actually says it made atonement. But it doesn't say anything about sin. The majority of the activity in the tabernacle temple was about worship. The problem is, and this is what we saw last week, is you go to worship at the tabernacle, you don't want to die. Right? And so you've got to bring a sin offering... And you have to be ritually clean. You have to be tahor to enter into the temple itself, or the tabernacle itself. And so, in preparation for going to the tabernacle to worship the Almighty God, you wanted to make sure you didn't. You came back at the end of the day, right? Uh, so you had to bring sin offering. Uh, did that mean that someone in uh, the Negev who sinned? needed to travel to Jerusalem every single time and make a sin offering in order to be forgiven? Absolutely not. That's not what the offerings were about. The offerings were about worshiping God. However, to approach the living God, you had to have an offering for sin. 
So, uh, usually, my guess is when you wanted to go and make a, a peace offering, take your family and friends, and, or a Thanksgiving offering, take your family and friends and, and go make an offering at, at, the, at the temple in Jerusalem. Let's say you lived during the second century. You know, my, I, it's like a guarantee. You're going to have to take a sin offering as well. It's like a guarantee. You want to go have this great worship experience, you've got to take a sin offering as well. Okay? We saw that these offerings were mostly, mostly geared towards individuals. These five of the major korbanot were geared towards individuals. And uh, the major communal korbanot, uh, the Passover, right? It was, it was sacrificed communally in the tabernacle temple. But then it was eaten in each home by, with, the, with an individual's family, right? Or Sukkot, the many sacrifices that were offered during Sukkot, those korbanot, were, it, were, were basically the, 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 those were the, the big ones as far as, as, far as uh, communal sacrifices. But the biggest one of all wasn't individual, and it wasn't when anybody had to be there. It was Yom Kippur. That's the biggest one of all. No one had to be at Yom Kippur except the high priest. Uh, obviously, to function, you have to have some help, but he's essentially the guy. He's the only one that's mandated by the Torah to be in Jerusalem or wherever the tabernacle or the temple was during Yom Kippur. Everybody else could say, nice, yeah, but I don't, I don't have to go, don't need to go. People went, don't misunderstand, but it wasn't commanded for them to go. Okay? They weren't going to get their sins forgiven at Yom Kippur. They weren't. That's not what it was about. They were uh, the only one in attendance. Like I say, was was uh, the only one had to be was a high priest. There were a lot of people in attendance, and in fact, it was it was it was it is the holiest day of, of the calendar. It just is. <laughs> um, oddly enough, and I know that we treat Yom Kippur as if it's a very if it's a very somber thing, as, and it is, and it is. But oddly enough, during the second second temple, the Mishnah records that people or, or that that or excuse me, the Talmud records that that. People danced during Yom Kippur. I mean, well, they, they fasted and danced. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of misunderstanding. We saw this last week. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the sacrifices. And specifically in Hebrews, because of the lack of a Yom Kippur reference for the readers. We read it and we just read sacrifices. As, as, as we talked about last week, bulls and goats. Well, how do we know that's Yom Kippur? Well, in the frame of reference of, well, you know, the frame of, reference of Yom Kippur, you know that's what it's, being, what it's talking about. Well, the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin. Uh, I mean, there's probably a lot of people can quote that, but they have no idea they're talking about Yom Kippur. And they have no idea what the phrase take away sin means versus cleanse. Can the blood of bulls and goats cleanse? Everybody raise your hands if you think the blood of bulls and goats can cleanse. How do I know? It says it. It says it. Well, yeah, I guarantee you go to the average place and ask that question and they go, no, can't do it. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's a trick. It was a, it was a sham. To teach us there's something better. Well, yes, it is to teach us there's something better. But it was not a sham and it did work. Some people say it's not so much a trick or a sham. It's rather it's sort of like... A, um, it's a shadow. That's what next week's lesson is. Well, lesson. Let's not go there. Yeah, it's <laughs> or a sad like, shadow. A sad shadow. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, oh, so sad. Those poor people. Because of its merit and all that stuff. How sad. Those poor people. Think about the millions of animals that had to die to, to basically 
trick Israel. There you go, to be gracious. Okay, to prove a point. To prove. No, no. It, listen, listen. God, God, God is certainly, certainly wants to prove a point. No question. He is a very good educator. But there's a whole lot of effort gone into proving a point that, that the scripture doesn't say is to prove a point. It says it was to do it. What was the purpose of the tabernacle? So that God may dwell with his people. So that he could dwell among them, betok him. He wants to dwell among his people. That's the purpose of the tabernacle. What's the purpose of the high priest? Well, let me go back up. What's the purpose of the sacrifices? So that people could go and approach God in the tabernacle. What's the purpose of the priesthood? Be that mediator. Somebody's got to be in between representing both God and the people in this relationship. That's exactly right. So, all of it is for the purpose of God dwelling among his people. That's his purpose. The little pattern we just had a minute ago about this 3,000 year trick or fake out <laughs> yeah, sorry, to, to sorry. try and, and focus the planet on that was the, pretty on nasty the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the trouble is that we fall into the same trap of we thinking do. that was then and this is now yeah. I couldn't be tricked that was then and we're going to do this again he said to do it forever that's right so so why are we well, well, no, no, it's not right now. Are, you're being obedient you are being absolutely obedient that's right <clears throat> It is an obedience. But it is obedience to his command. Like, that was just to get to the cross. Puts us in the same kind of verbal conflict, contrast. Yeah, yeah. That, that is not there. No, no. And, and in fact, it detracts, it, my view is, it actually does detract from the cross. Because what we learn is, we learn, in fact, that eternal doesn't mean eternal. If that's what they're saying, and it's not, it's not. Yeah. Eternal means eternal. Or, or you, or you, you miss what we discussed too. Is the two different domains? That's it. And all of that. Just, we exactly, it. exactly. And we're going to go into that this week. So, so people who have missed the last couple of weeks, we're going to go into that this week. So that'll that'll be helpful. Thanks. Let's look at the Day of Atonement. Excuse me. One one question. I know you guys have fought there. Have gone way. We're here. We're here to learn. I, I, well, this clear my mind out before you go. I know it's important. Is you're saying the sins were not forgiven at the full. They were just covered, correct? Actually, sins were forgiven. Sins were cleansed. Sins were not taken away. Taken away. Well, There's an interesting yeah. use of words. Each one of those things is representing something different. Sins were not taken away. They were forgiven. And in fact, if you go through the book of Leviticus, as we did, this is a couple weeks ago, we actually went through the book of Leviticus, we looked at the five major sacrifices. We have a, we have a, we have a table with like unbelievable amounts of information on it with, with the sacrifices. Were the sins, were sins forgiven? He actually says in the book of Leviticus, your sins will be forgiven if you do this. But the question is, are your sins forgiven forever? Are they forgotten no, it never never say that. Were your sins covered? Yes. Were you cleansed of sin? Yes. But were your sins taken away? No. Was the penalty paid for those sins? I mean, ah, I think, bingo. I think of, it's sort of like if you have a parent 
and your child has done something very serious, let's say they've broken the law, your parent can forgive that child having erred and can, in a sense, almost accept them to a degree. But the child still has to pay the penalty That's for right. what they've done. Exactly. The sacrifices of Yom Kippur did achieve perhaps some level of forgiveness, as that's what it says. It did. But the key words that are never used for Yom Kippur that are used in Apostolic scriptures include things like imputed righteousness. There you re- go. Redemption. Um, substitutionary substitutionary atonement is alluded to in the Torah it's not discussed in the Torah it is alluded to it is the apostolic scriptures that give us this reference of what it is to be a substitute Yeshua took our place that is not what we're reading about when we see here didn't take your place and that's not what it says if it, how could it possibly right it cleansed you when you wanted to go, it cleansed you. What did it clean you? It cleansed you from. This goes back to what we were talking about. It, it, we're going to see here in, in, in Hebrews chapter ten, or in Hebrews chapter nine, rather. It cleansed my flesh. I was able to go and not die. <laughs> you know, but if I left there and went and did something uh, sinful and went back again without the sin sacrifice, I would die. The ultimate proof, obviously, that the sin sacrifices did not achieve any sort of eternal redemption is found in the prophets. Where yeah. God re- re- rebukes the children of Israel for offering sacrifices and not repenting. Exactly. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. The sacrifices were acts of worship. They were not acts of of salvation. Actually, there was salvation in the sense that we, you know, we have, you know, God stays here among us and our enemies are defeated, right? But they were acts of salvation in the sense of eternal salvation, as we currently use the word. They weren't acts of redemption. They weren't acts of redemption. Very good. They were not acts of redemption, with the exception that they were specific sacrifices that were offered as as substitutes. Just like we talk in in, in alluded to, an example would be the firstborn, right? You know, uh, it's like a like a like a like a substitute. There, it's alluded to, but the idea that it's being somehow. Um, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a perfect example of the, of the conundrum we're in when we talk about the word con- atonement. Is everybody says there's no there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Hebrews. We equate remission of sin with atonement, and then we read. Then we're reading in the Exodus, and it says in Exodus and it says bring a bring this coin and it will be an atonement for you it's like whoa wait a minute I'm buying what? no wonder the Catholic Church got this idea that you can buy it off right I'm buying my salvation no 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 no. it's a covering it's not it's not for, for sin forgiveness it's a covering for, of some sort okay let's get into it here Yom Kippur is uh, De- De- Leviticus 23-27 talks about it here and it says also the tenth of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The word is, is the word, the phrase there is Yom HaKippurim. It's the day of the atonements. It's plural. Okay? Now, we refer to it, it's not incorrect to refer to it as Yom Kippur. However, it's the day of the atonements. Why is it the atonements? It atones for the temp- for the tabernacle itself. It, it calls the sanctuary, the whole thing, right? The whole system. But it atones for the sacrifice, the altar, the priests, and the people. Okay? It makes it so, well, what we're going to see here, it makes it so it works. That was interesting, too, when I was reading through it. The sacrifices are used in attachment to atonement. It's interesting that the actual day itself 
provides atonement. Yes, it does. That's true. Well, an interesting the word atonement is used tons in Scripture. Tons. Far more than even the word korban. And the first usage, it comes from the word kafar. The first usage is 614. Also, are you saying the day by itself provides atonement? Uh, in, in, in its function. In its function. Because it said, yeah, in its function. I mean, not literally the physical day. But no, it said, in its function. In verse 28, it says, it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you yeah. before the Lord your God. Yeah. In its function. In other words, if you do it, not, not it'll, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, as for the year. If you as opposed to, like, offering the same sacrifices two days later, and those providing atonement. Exactly. That's a good point. Very good point. Follow the rules or it doesn't work. Um, you know, you got to follow the formula. Here's the formula. And, and the first usage for kafar, the verb that Kippur comes from, um, the first usage is Genesis 6.14. Noah, make an ark and cover it with kafar. Pitch. No, no, it's not pitch. Cover it with something so it won't leak. It's to cover it. That's what it's for. It's to cover it. That's why the mercy seat is the, the covering. Yeah, it is the covering. What's a cover? It covers the top of the box. What's in the box? Do you remember what's in the box? What's in the Ark of the Covenant? Is is the is the book of the law in the in, in the in the box? Stone tablets. That's good. That buddy. You think he kept buddy? Did the bud fall off? No, I doubt it actually. Because what did that staff represent? Do you remember why it budded? That his priesthood was a chukat olam, a priesthood in eternal statute. That's right. That's why it budded. What else? The bowl of manna. You think it's spoiled? This is a this is a holy place. Leviticus 23, 27 through 32. Well, I read 27, so let's start with verse 28. And you shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul in that same day shall be cut off from his people. Any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy among his people. You shall do no manner of work. Have you got that point yet? Uh, it shall be a statute forever throughout your chukat olam throughout your generations in in your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate the Sabbath. So it's a Sabbath. It's the tenth day of the seventh month. Which day will be the first? Which which month will be the first month among you? Aviv, the first month. When you came out of Egypt, that will be the first month. Okay, and so it's the seventh month, the tenth day of the seventh month. Yes, we call it Tishri now. Evening to evening, the ninth to the tenth and evening. Uh, we know we know several reasons in Scripture why the days are go from evening to evening, but this is a further proof of it. It's a holy convocation. It's a mikra kodesh, a holy calling together. Okay, it's a holy calling together. You know. Um, uh, by the way, when it says customary work, it's, it, it, you look it up and it's kind of like it's 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 the work as, uh, uh, it's the work associated with employment more than more than anything else. Okay, um, uh, you guys know the two levels of, of Sabbath. There's some things you can, some Sabbath the weekly Sabbath you can't light a fire. Other Sabbaths you can. Right. Uh, no customary work. Task of the day was for the high priest. The high priest alone is working today and he's working big time. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, a, a trusted man, a trusted man to take the uh, a, a gazelle. Yeah, uh, a, a, it's a Sabbath of rest, and they're supposed to afflict their souls. Uh, we we don't know what that means, other than uh, you basically it's to deny your life in some way. Okay, uh, fasting is a great way of, of of representing it, and no doubt that that's probably the best way. The Mishnah records that fasting is the way that one afflicts your soul on. On, on Yom Kippur, and I think it's probably very, very acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Chukat Olam. It is a statute forever. Now, the question becomes: Is Olam Olam? And it's a Chukat. Is Olam really mean Olam? Is forever forever? Do I have to have Va'ed on the end for it to me to go? Okay, it's forever ever, forever and ever. Or am I content to say Olam is Olam? Alam works for me. Alam works for me. Especially when you consider all the alams, right? Alam Vaed certainly certainly says forever and ever. I don't have to see the Vaed to know this is forever. Achukat. It means I don't understand it. And I don't have to. I, I am I am amazed at the people who who in commentary claim they got this all figured out. Because it is a chukat alam. And no matter what Hebrews tells us about it and explains and gives us greater insight, there will still be questions and we should still have questions. How is it possible that the priesthood of Aaron could still be standing? And yet we know from the scriptures it says, if my covenant with the sun and the moon would cease, then I would take it away from these families, from David and from Levi. No, it hasn't ceased. Yom Kippur in the earthly tabernacle I had you do this chart that kind of like combined it all right we're going to split it up we're going to do the earthly tabernacle and then we're going to do the heavenly tabernacle and we're not going to look up the references but we have to read the scripture ahead of time okay so let's go read the scripture Leviticus 16 Leviticus 16 1 through 34 okay and you, I want you to remember what we read so that when we go through, we'll be able to re- pick out these points that we're going to make here. 16, 1 through 34. Whole Excuse me? The whole chapter. It's the whole chapter. Well, there you go. That'll make it easy. You know I usually read too far. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. This is like, okay, this is a, you get the picture? Where was that? That was right at the very beginning of this book. He's going to explain a whole lot of this Korban stuff. And now he's going to get back to it. Okay? The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come just any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I, w- I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering. Or, excuse me, and of a ram as a burnt offering. Okay? He shall put the holy linen tunic uh, tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded, girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban. He shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. He shall take the congregation of the he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of a goat as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat, Azazel. 
And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it. Well, alive for a while anyway. And shall let it go into the scape, as the scapegoat, the Azazel, into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. There you go. <laughs> Here's something else you need to do to keep from dying. Better bring that incense in first. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. He shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy, and before the mercy seat. So he shall make, key, key verse here, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins, so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes to make atonement in the holy place, lest excuse me, until he comes out and that he make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of it blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made an an end of atoning for the holy place and the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. He shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both hands on his head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting on them the head of the goat. Putting them on the head of the goat. There's a substitutionary illusion, right? Shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities of sin to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And when he, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. The bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in, in to make atonement of the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he, he may come into, come into the camp. This shall be a hukat olam, a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. 
and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a gare, a stranger who dwells among you. For on the day the priests shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath. Clean from all your sins, right? It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. You shall afflict your souls. It is a hukat olam. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and holy garments and he shall make atonement for this holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. This shall be a chukat olam, a statue forever. Three times now in case you haven't got it. To make atonement for the children of Israel for all, they, for all their sins once a year, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. It's like a repeat of, of uh, chapter 23, but in detail, right? Uh, let's start this book around, if you don't mind. Careful, this is important from Israel. For those who are listening, we are looking at the book, and there's pictures on the, on, uh, on the website that goes along with this outline. Carta's Illustrated Encyclopedia of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. It, is, uh, it was written by Israel Ariel, who is the original founder of the Temple Institute, and uh, Rabbi Chaim Richmond, who is the current uh, leader of the Temple Institute. Just, you can look through all those pictures. There's a bunch of them, and uh, just pass it around as we discuss. Quick side note, it just struck me as you reading through that passage, and I could be wrong about this because burnt offering is such a general term. No, it's called it's korban Allah. Well, it's referring to things that burn on the altar, I suppose. But the interesting thing about that, it provides atonement for the altar and the tabernacle with the sin offerings, and yet specifically to the sin offering. Now, immediately after verse 24 and verse 25, it says he burns out of the sin offering. But in verse 24, the specific offerings that make an atonement aren't the sin offerings. That's right. They're the burnt offerings. That's right. Which is taking back to Leviticus chapter 1. That's right. Doesn't have to do sin. That's right. Specifically. That's right. So... But remember, Leviticus yes, chapter 1, the, the Korban Allah in Leviticus 1, burnt offering, what, is it, what does it do? It makes atonement. Is it a sin-related offering? It is not. Verse 30 does say that it does cleanse from your sins, and there is a picture with the scapegoat. But it's interesting to note that that's not like, again, trying to stress that it's not about trying to achieve any sort of like eternal forgiveness of sin by any means. Because it's not even a sin offering specifically that's provided the atonement. Right. Here, this is what it's talking about. The purpose, the purpose of the earthly tabernacle was what? So that God could dwell among men, right? It's a portal. It's a doorway for God to be in creation. Not just in creation, because he is anyway, but actually dwelling, dwelling, residing among his people. But for it to work. And I've used that phrase, I'm, I'm, it's casual, please forgive me if you, if you find offense at it. It's ca- For it to work, a couple things have to happen. Number one, no one can just come in here, they're going to get struck dead. They can come in and, 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 and worship God, but they're going to get struck dead, so they're going to have to have a, a sin sacrifice for themselves to approach God. You're going to have to have a priest that can offer, that can stand in the middle, the mediator, to officiate this process, Right? And then, so, so we have to have sacrifices, we have to have a priesthood. And then, every year, you've got to renew this thing, right? You've got you to keep the portal open. And how do you keep the portal open? By make, because, because this creation is defiled, and the people that, that God is dwelling amidst, amongst is, are sinful. The very place that it resides, although it be holy, must be kept holy. And the way that it's kept holy is Yom Kippur. Its purpose is to make this whole thing work. Okay? So that he will still be dwelling here next year. 
with us. That's its purpose. Okay? has nothing to do with eternity. Never did. Which is the point that we're going to see here in a second that the book that the writer Hebrews is making. It's exactly his point. Don't get the contrast. Get the comparison. See how it worked. Look at how it worked. How much more is it going to work when we consider that Yeshua is our high priest and our korban Allah? So, let's go through these questions. You have the questions there. First of all, what were the steps? He put on the linen tunic. Notice he takes off all that extra stuff, right? He's just wearing white. He had to wash with water first. He had to wash with water, put on the linen tunic. Yeah, these are not necessarily in order. He had to wash with water, put on the linen tunic. By the way, what happened with the linen tunic at the end? What did he do with it? He left it there. Judah, do you remember when you went to the tomb? What was in there? Was anybody in there? No one was there. Zero. Zero. But remember Peter Peter and John ran up? What did what did John see inside there? Did he see something in there? He saw two things. He saw two things. What were they? One cloth, maybe not all nice, but one was nice and neat and folded. Like a talit. What does it mean when you have a folded talit? I'll be back. That's right. What does Well he left it there, didn't he? He just left it there. Wash with water. That's right. He is alive. Prepare a bowl for his own sin and for his household and two goats. Now, it never talks about... It talks about this this goat. This ram, rather. It talks about this ram several places. And you have to actually get the Mishnaic uh, order of service to kind of figure out what that was all about. But there's a, there's a ram involved as, as well here. Okay, There's two goats, a bull, and a ram. He casts lots... That, that book has a picture of the lots. There's a box. The Temple Institute has already made the box for the lots. As a box, there's the lots, there's two little, little like, flip-covered. It's the coolest little thing. It's like a little, it's an oval, and it's like a little book on a hinge. And you open it up, and it says inside whether it's for the Lord or Azazel. Or for the, 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 the basically Azazel means the goat that's, that's put down or, or thrown down. Okay? So he opens it up and whatever's in his right hand, whatever's in his right hand uh, is, well I can't remember. Anyway, it talks about using his right hand. It, it, the book tells you there. That's a, that's a Mishnaic thing. The scripture does not tell us this. Okay? Um, what, what? Is it your right hand? The last area in the inscription for God is going with his word. There you go, yeah. He declares, my master, the high priest, and raise up your right hand. There you go, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? Uh, that, and that's out of the Mishnah, which, which brings up an important point. And it's, it's an aside point, but let me ask you something. If the scripture doesn't tell you how to do this, how do you do it? Do you make it up every week or every year? Hey, you know, last year was fun. <laughs> Let's do it a little different this time. You know, I like the lots, you know, with the dice, but this year, can we use straws? Do you think? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, not to say that one or the other would be right or wrong, but as years go on, you establish this is the way that we do it. And we're not messing with it. Because it worked last year, right? That's what the Mishnah records. The Mishnah, also known as at least a variation or part of the oral Torah just because it's oral doesn't mean we reject it you just have to say does it it conflict with scripture? if it doesn't then sure why not? 
Okay. Now, isn't it true, though, that you could take straws? Well, absolutely. But you, it does not say. It doesn't say. Absolutely. Absolutely. But over time, something becomes acceptable if it's not against Scripture. And if it's working, why fix what's not broken, right? But that's, you're right. Absolutely right. They could have used straws, but they didn't. Okay? We get, uh, takes the bull and, and the blood and goes inside the tabernacle. He takes fire from the altar with him. Which altar? The Mishnah says he takes fire from the altar outside. There's some indication, just a hint, and this is my own opinion, there's some indication, a hint, that the fire may come from the altar inside the tabernacle. Okay? Hebrews kind of leads you to believe it's inside the tabernacle. It doesn't really matter right now because it's, it's not that big of a debatable issue. But fire from the altar is being taken inside. Okay? He takes incense with him. He goes between the veil. You thought it was one veil. It's not. If you look in this book, you'll see a picture. It has, there's two veils. And in fact, that's exactly what the Mishnah says. You go in the right side, you walk between the two veils, and you turn right again, and you're inside the Holy of Holies. You don't go kind of like through it, like, a, like pull the curtain side in the middle and go through. <laughs> you go in a side, you walk between two curtains, and you go in another side. Okay? Inside the veil, they put, he puts incense on the coals. Why does he have to put incense on the coals? Once he's in there, he needs atonement. What kind of atonement did he need? The mercy seat. Why? You can't look at it. <laughs> it's supposed to cover it. Incense is supposed to cover it. Remember we talked about this several weeks ago. When we're in the holy place and there's incense burning in the holy place, what do you see? I see seven bright lights. Of the menorah. I see seven bright lights. Well, in the second temple there were more than that. But just as the tabernacle says, I see seven lights. What do those look like? Those look like seven eyes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Inside the veil, puts the incense on the coals, which conceals the mercy seat, and then he sprinkles the blood. He sprinkles the blood in front of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and he sprinkles the blood actually on the, the top, on the mercy seat itself. Okay? Continuing with these steps, he brings the blood of the goat for God, the goat that's for God, and sprinkles and sprinkles that blood. In front of the mercy seat. Okay? The blood of the bull first is for himself and for his household. He goes back out again, the incense, then he goes back out again and comes back in. By the way, the, the, the incense is for him too. So he doesn't die while he's in there. <laughs> and then he goes back out again and gets the blood of the, the goat that's been slain for God and he brings that blood in. This is the blood for the people. Or this, this goat is for the people. Okay? Then he goes back outside, the blood is applied to the altar. First, it is actually, as the picture shows, and the missionary records, that it's applied to the altar of incense as well. This is why we get a possible question of where the fire comes from. The altar of incense actually has to be covered as well. Then he goes out to the main altar outside, and, he's, and, he, and he sprinkles the blood and pours the blood. Okay? Then there is, in fact, the korban, which is the bull, the goat, and the ram. And the ram is actually the big korban here. Because what happens to the bull and the goat, as Joshua talked about? What do you do with the bull and the goat? They're carcasses. They're taken outside the camp and burned. What's that remind you of? Ashes of the red heifer, right? Well, the ashes of everything in the Korban get tossed out there, but these are taken out and burned outside, okay? The goat... Burned the, the body on the temple is burned outside. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The bull and the goat. The, goat, the, the ram fat, serves... Yeah, the fat, fat is offering is offered, and then the ram is offered as a whole bird. That's right. Yeah, the ram is a whole bird offering, a whole, a whole Korban Allah. But the bull and the goat, it says it's skin and it's awful. 
you're taking God's ghost. No, no, that, yes, you're exactly right. Yes, absolutely. It is not Olah. It is not consumed on the altar. Like all Olah has to be consumed on the altar. It is not Olah. It does not get consumed on the altar. Although it does call it a Korban Olah. Well, I know the bull is taken out of the burn. It doesn't give a whole lot of direct experience. Yeah. This shows this talks about the bull and the goat actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, then he washes. Oh wait, the goat for Az- Azazel is led away by a trustworthy man. And you saw in the pictures they toss it off a cliff. Let's make sure this thing doesn't come back. <laughs> and in fact it talks about as they were leading it out the Alexandrians would pluck it you know the Alexandrian Jews that came up for Yom Kippur they'd pull his hair out it's like take it away take it away <laughs> uh, anyway, toss it off a cliff just to make sure don't let it come back ah that does give me a picture you know the book of Hebrews does not talk about that I wonder why Then he's to wash again. And again, the bodies of the bull and goat are burned outside the camp. Okay, that's the steps. Who carried this out? Who did all this? The high priest. The entire service was done by the high priest alone. Leviticus 16, 17. Who is it for? As far as who, it was for the children of Israel or for the priests. That's right. How long was it for? Actually, let me step back. One little thing that I didn't add in there. It says gear. And this, it says Gear, the stranger that dwells among you. So it's not just the children of Israel. The, but the question is, are, are they are do they participate? Actually, yes. We know that we know we know that they, they they celebrated the Passover, right? So we know that this whole thing has to work for them too. Uh, how long was it for? How often? Right? Gear, no, Gear were not slaves. Gear were not slaves. Gear were strangers. Living with you. Ruth was a gear. Who else was a gear? Caleb. How dare he? Caleb, one of the ten one of the one of the one of the twelve spies, one of the two that didn't blow it. Representing who? Judah. Caleb's not even a from the tribe of Judah and he's representing Judah. Imagine that. He's a gear. He's a stranger. That's you. That's right. How long was it for? How long did they have to do this? How, how long was it repeated? I should have combined these questions. Every year, once a year, for how long? How long do you want him dwelling among you? A cup? That reference in Hebrews, to me, is how it is the way to know He's talking about yeah, exactly. It's, it's a yearly exactly, exactly. Well, you know, and is that a now? Hebrews makes a very good point. Hebrews nine seven. This is a yearly reminder to remind the people that they're sinful. You know, hey, listen, it's it's a negative. It, he, Leviticus doesn't treat this as a negative, but it is a negative. But it's also positive. You know, I mean. He, if we do this, he's going to stay. <laughs> right? Yeah, it does remind them of sin. Absolutely. Is it a trick? No. I get to go and worship the living God at His tabernacle, at His temple. That's not a trick. Where was it done? The tabernacle or the temple, rather, as well. And specifically, it's focused in the Holy of Holies. Now, I want to I want to make a point here that it's not just the Holy of Holies. It's the entire the entire city, Jerusalem, in the temple times, was being treated to this experience. 
the Azazel goat was led out the gate to the wilderness. Okay? The camp, the tabernacle, the burning was outside the camp. These levels of holiness apply here. So it's not just the Holy of Holies. Why do I bring that up? Because we're going to see a correlation. We're going to see a correlation when we speak of Yeshua. Korban was offered. What Korban was offered? Bull and goats. And it's, you know... It's not completely consumed, so it's hard to say it's an Allah, but it is a korban anyway. Okay, it is an offering, and the ram, which was a korban Allah, it was consumed completely. Did anybody eat any of these sacrifices? No. I have a question about the ram. I was confused by the ram. It says in verse. It just mentions it twice. Verse five. It mentions it twice, but it mentions it once. Yeah. Well, maybe once. Yeah. It says that he shall take. From the congregation of the sons of Israel, two male goats for sin offering and one ram for burnt offering. For burnt offering. Yeah. Yeah, the burnt offering is the korban Allah. The burnt mm-hmm. offering shows up later, but it's just called burnt offering. Yeah, it doesn't. You, you're supposed to know it's the ram, and, it, and, if that's, and that's why I say, guys, you have to. You kind of have to go to the oral, the oral account to get that that how that ram was used. Okay. Continuing, does it cleanse from sin? Yes. Leviticus 16, 16 through 30 talks about it cleansing from sin. Hebrews 9, 13 and verse 23. Go there real quick. Hebrews 9, 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, that's not speaking of young people, although that's certainly necessary, Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the puring of the flesh. Did it? Yes. By the way, when it says sanctifying, for the purifying of the flesh, sanctifying comes from the same root as holy, okay, in Greek. And purifying is the same root as cleanse. Go to verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that copies of these things should be purified. Some versions of the Bible say cleansed. It's the same Greek word that used in verse 13. Be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So, did they cleanse? Yes, absolutely. Took away sin? No. Hebrews 10.4 says they do not take away sin. Cleanse from sin? Yes. Take away sin? What's take away mean? It's not there, you get forever. Yeah, squeaky clean from now on. I think it's also important, to do, um, and you'll see this later if you get to dig into Hebrews, that taking away sin in addition, it also affects... Um, a transformation of the person because ah, they still sin. Very good. They still Excellent. have a filthy conscience, as it were. And and I can keep coming into his presence forever. Yeah. Uh, provided atonement. Yes, Leviticus sixteen twenty and verse thirty three. It did provide for atonement. It absolutely did. It covered. It did it make the people perfect? No. Nowhere in the Torah does it say it makes the people perfect. Never does it imply, never does it promise, never does it even hint that it will make the people perfect. No. In fact, the the opposite is hinted at, which is the point of Hebrews. You have to keep doing it every year. It didn't make it perfect. (laughs) Perfect means nothing can be added. Done. Did it make the people done? No. It never hints at it. It hits the opposite. It does the opposite. Hebrews 9.9, 9, Hebrews 10.1, it does not make the worshiper perfect. Okay? Did it cleanse the conscience? No. Hebrews 9.9 9 and Hebrews 10.2, same thing. It doesn't cleanse the conscience. In fact, the opposite. The fact that we do it every year reminds me, oh yes, I do remember. I wasn't there at Yom Kippur. I didn't go down there today, this, this year. I stayed up here in, in, in uh, you know, in... 
Haifa, and and uh, so I didn't go down, but I'm gonna fast. Uh, well, I did fast, yeah. But at the same time, um, I know that it was done, <laughs> and I know why. Where was the location of the incense sensor? Do you guys know why I asked this question? The authenticity of the book of Hebrews is questioned by some because it says the incense sensor has, it is in the Holy of Holies. Actually, it doesn't say that. It talks about the Holy of Holies and says pertaining to the Holy of Holies. It has something to do with the Holy of Holies as, as uh, Hebrews 9, 3-5 speaks of. Does the incense sensor have something to do with the Holy of Holies? On Yom Kippur, you better believe it does. Why? Because Aaron can't go in there without it. Well, he doesn't take the sense, he doesn't take the altar of incense in, but that's why the dispute of whether where the coals come from. Maybe the coals come from the altar. Regardless, you got that picture going around. What's in front of the Holy of Holies when, when Aaron's sprinkling the blood there? He's got a he's got a pan of coals and he's got a little censer full of incense. You had to take it in there with him. Okay? So, where is it? It pertains. The golden incense censer is in the Holy of Holies during Yom Kippur only. What it indicates, instead of questioning the authenticity of the book of Hebrews, just like the Mishnah, it validates, it's validated by that fact. Everybody in their right mind knows that the altar of incense was not in the Holy of Holies. So, by mentioning that the censer is in the Holy of Holies, there's in fact a validation, or pertains to the Holy of Holies, is a validation. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the writer of Hebrews was either a, in that regard, was either a, a, it was inspired by God as truth, or he read the Mishnah. <laughs> or maybe both. Now, the, my point is, my point is that all of the texts validate this. So people who would deny the authenticity of Hebrews on the basis of that have not spent much time reading Hebrew source documents. But he could also have had friends that were priests. Well, there you go. He could have had friends that were priests. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like to think that that's, that's very true. Yeah. But I, I, my personal feeling, and you guys, I've told you this before, my personal feeling is this book was likely written by Luke. And it was likely written to a man who used to be high priest, a man named Theophilus, who was a son of. Actually, he was a Ben Kaifa. He was he was from the he was from the same family as what we call Hananiah, or or uh, and, and his father his father-in-law uh, 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 Kaifas Joseph Ben Kaifa. Yeah, you know, I I personally believe that's who this is. This is Theophilus, the high priest that's being written to. A believer. Yom Kippur made its way, made a way to draw near to God. Did it? Yes. Leviticus 16 says it actually speaks about 16:7. Talks about them being it being a covering. Why? So that he could, so, because they're gonna, it's going to stay among them. It's a way to draw near. Absolutely. Sins were never remembered by God. No. Never, never promises it. In fact, Hebrews 10, 22-3 makes the point. But Leviticus never promises it. In fact, the opposite. Do it every year. Did Yom Kippur work? Yes. God's presence was in the tabernacle temple. And as we read, the promise to Solomon was that, it would, that his presence would never leave. Now we read about his presence 
or his, the Shekinah in some way departing from the tabernacle in the book of Ezekiel or the temple in the book of Ezekiel but one thing that we know is this promises I will never leave this place and it well we know we know it's true alright there, oh there's a nice picture that's the that's the uh, um, the lots being cast Quite a nice Jewish rabbi there, isn't it? What does this do with the ropes? The ropes. Oh, you know, this is this is not in scripture. This is not in scripture, but it is a very powerful picture. These crimson wool, crimson wool uh, ropes or or uh, or or threads were uh, one was tied to the outside of the tabernacle temple, and one was tied to the re- the horn of the azazel goat, the scapegoat. And uh, Yom Kippur always worked. The crimson cords turned white at the end of the day. In fact, there was a big deal to watch this Azazel as he is like plummeting <laughs> to make sure that the cord is white. Um, the Talmud records that there were a number of things that did not occur for the last 40 years uh, of the Holy Temple, uh, the Second Temple, Herod's Temple. One is the door of the east, the easternmost door would not remain shut. Um, no, the, the door of the sanctuary has now remained shut. Uh, the eastern, the eastern, uh, the, yeah, I can't remember. The easternmost, I think it was the easternmost uh, lamp would not remain lit, and the cord did not turn white. Hmm. The cord actually turns white. Well, it's not recorded in the scripture. That's 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 recorded in the Mishnah. So and and, and the Talmud. So. Yeah, that's what it says. I don't, I don't know what that means. You know, it's, it's an important enough thing that, that it's recorded. You know, it's recorded for us. But Scripture does not record any of that as being significant in any way. Okay, just interesting. It's cool. Okay. Well, there he is. Notice the censer of incense. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty fine. You think it's got to be big enough to cover it, man? It's got to be. I got to have some smoke here. Yeah, they kind of get a light smoke there. Yes. The coals. Yeah. The coals are to burn the incense. To make smoke. That's it. To make smoke. So you couldn't see it. And it talks about specifically not being able to see it. Yeah. That doesn't look like enough smoke to see, not be able to see it, does it? I, he might just be I like the artists. Uh, the Temple Institute has the best artists. Oh man, I just I wish I had every one of their paintings. They're huge. I mean, they cover the wall. I'd love it. Oh man. <laughs> but they have great artists. But you know, who knows? You know, and they do a really good job in researching stuff. But sometimes, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not quite the way it was. I don't know. I'm certain. I'm certain that they do their best. Notice the shape of the uh, the. Caribbean. They're very interesting. They don't look like any angels I've ever seen in paintings. <laughs> oh, there he is. See ya. There's the, there's the Azazel goat being tossed off. Oh, look at the. Oh, he's got a he's got a red cord. Is it going wide? Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I don't know. Anyway, that's interesting. Okay, let's talk about the heavenly the event. Is the event in the heavenly tabernacle on Yom Kippur? No. It's not. Did it happen on a Yom Kippur or a yet a yet future Yom Kippur? I don't know, but future would bother me a little bit. 
I'm not a Millerite. I don't think that he has to, that we're waiting for the event to occur in the heavenlies. I think it has occurred. How that matters in time and space, I don't know. And that don't really matter. It doesn't matter to me because scripture doesn't tell me I should be concerned about that. Interestingly, even though the bounty court is compared directly in Hebrews to the sacrifice of Yeshua, the word atonement is never used, nor is the term day of atonement a reference to Yeshua's sacrifice. So though the symbolism and pictures are similar, it's not necessarily required that Yeshua have done the exact same thing on the exact same day. Very good. The exact same effect. Excellent, excellent. Because I believe that the prophetic nature of Yom Kippur is unfulfilled. There's nothing to do with the sacrifice. Here. Correct, correct. I believe Yeshua's sacrifice being pictured in Yom Kippur is complete. But there is something about Yom Kippur that is yet future in, in a prophetic sense that is unfulfilled. It has nothing to do with the taking away of sin. But has everything to do with the cleansing in levels of purity and holiness from the outside of the camp. Yeah. I believe Yom Kippur is the, is the, is the predecessor the prophetic predecessor for Olam Haba, uh, for uh, for the earthly kingdom, for for Sukkot, uh, in in a prophetic sense. But that I do not believe is what this book is talking about. When it's talking about young people making the comparison, it's talking about something already accomplished. Okay, and Joshua brings up a very good point. Just because there's a comparison here does not mean that they are one and the same. They're not. The danger of making them one and the same is the book of Hebrews never says that Yeshua accomplished this on a Yom Kippur or will accomplish it on a Yom Kippur. I think it, the comparison is not so much trying to say Yeshua did this as though somehow it had been done in earth and it has to be done in heaven too. It's more of the idea that he's comparing the most significant the same, It has the same effect. An event. Well, not so much the same effect. It's not the exact same effect. But he's he's comparing the most significant and important sacrifice offered in the earthly tabernacle, the most crucial one, with the most significant and important sacrifice offered of all time. And it's because again, we're coming back to the point of the book. He's saying how much more? How much more? So it would be kind of silly to say how much more compared to a mediocre sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work, but how much more will this work? Is, is he comparing the atonement, uh, the sacrifice, or is he comparing the high priest? He's not in a, well. Well, let, let, let's get to it because that's very important. One of the things that we've seen is he's, he compares to the priests earlier. We spent a long time looking at the priests. He makes a comparison to the priests, but it appears that the whole effort to compare the priests is to get to this point: is to talk about Yom Kippur and to, and to talk about what Yeshua has done. Let's get into it because that's a good point. That's a very good point. What comes first? Do I need a priest or do I need a sacrifice? I need a priest. I need a, no, I need a sacrifice. I need a sac- I need a priest to offer the sacrifice. But most important, what do I really need? I need a tabernacle. I need a tabernacle, that's what I need. For me to have a tabernacle and for me to be a participant in it, I have to have a sacrifice. For me to have a sacrifice, I have to have a priest. So it's sort of like, do you need a tabernacle, a priest, or a sacrifice? Yes. Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> okay, let's start with chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 27. Speaking of Yeshua, who doesn't need, like the Kohen Gadolim, the high priest, to offer up sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For he did this once for all when he offered up himself. 
And then we're going over to nine, chapter 9, verse 3, where it picks up the topic of Yom Kippur. So he was a, recapped, he was a high priest that offered himself. He offered himself, that's right. So as a high priest, he offered himself. That's right. So he serves two roles there, right. both the sacrifice and the high priest. After the second veil was the, ta- uh, was the tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was a golden pot holding the manna, Aaron, Aharon's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it Keruvim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which things we can't speak now in detail. Now these things having been thus prepared, the Kohanim going continually into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services. But into the second, the Kohen Gadol alone, once in the year, not without blood, which offers for himself. We're going to talk about this first second here in the two weeks from now, so let's not get into that right now. The Holy Spirit is indicating this, that in the way into the holy place was not yet revealed while the first tabernacle was still standing. It's not speaking of the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's speaking of these two parts of the tabernacle. The first is what you come to first as you're approaching the tabernacle, the holy place. The second is what's behind the veil. Okay? There's two parts is what he's speaking of. Okay? which is a symbol of the present age. The outside, the first part, is a symbol of the present age where gifts and sacrifices were offered that are incapable concerning the conscience of making the worship perfect, being only with meats and drinks and various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed until a time of reformation. The Messiah, having come as a Kohen Gadol of the coming good things to the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of his creation, nor yet with the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood entered once for all into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify to the cleanness of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's what we want to go do, right? We want to go serve him. For this reason. He is the mediator of a new covenant. Since a, excuse me, that was far enough? Verse 14? Yes. We're going to get to the new covenant in a few weeks here. Okay. We said just a second before we started reading. Mm-hmm. He, did two, he was two things. He was the high priest. And, and, the, and the sacrifice. Yeah. He was three things. Yes. He was the high priest. He was the sacrifice. And he was the scapegoat. Ooh. Good point. Good point. I'm sure he's the guy that took the guy out too, but yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, actually, when he, when I think he says sacrifice, it encompasses. It does. It does. It's, it's the whole thing. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's Go to nine twenty four now. We'll pick it up there for four verses. Thank you, Joseph, for watching my. <laughs> for Messiah hasn't entered into the holy places made with hands. Holy places? Yeah. Remember, there's two parts of the tabernacle. Why is there? Why are there two parts of the tabernacle? This is speaking, this is a parable speaking for the present age. You get the picture, you will. Now you will. Wait for the two weeks, you'll get it. For must, excuse me, what? Your translation says, you did that for, uh, she asked, did I enter a, uh, you said, holy places? Yeah, uh-huh. 
Okay, that's fine. For Mashiach hasn't entered into holy places made with, with hands, which are representations of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the Kohen Gadol enters into the holy place year by year with the blood not, not his own, or else he may have, must have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages... He has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Inasmuch as it is appointed to man once to die, and after this judgment, so Messiah also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time without sin to those who are eagerly awaiting him for salvation. And then the next passage was 10, 1 through 22. For the Torah... Having a shadow of the good to come, not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices year by year, which they continually make, perfect those who draw near. Or else wouldn't they have ceased to be offered because the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would have no more consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices there is a yearly reminder of sins, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me. You had no pleasure in the whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin. He didn't. He says he does. There's a pleasant aroma. Then I said, Behold, I come. I have come. In the scroll of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Oh, well, that's why. <laughs> it's got to have a heart with it. Right? I love it. Everybody stops reading in verse verse six. You know the same thing when they quote this when they when they when they quote this uh, was this from the Psalms? It's like it's like okay. Uh, no, I'll keep reading. Previously saying sacrifices and offerings and whole bird offerings and sacrifices for for sin you didn't desire neither had pleasure in them those which are offered according to the Torah. Then he said. Then he has said, Behold, I come to do your will. He repeats it again just in case you didn't get it. He takes away the first and he may establish the second. By which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Yeshua, the Messiah, once for all. Every Kohen stands day by day, serving off, often and off, and often offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. May he, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting until his enemies are made the footstool of his feet, for one, which is a quote from the Psalms we saw in, in, in Psalm 110, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us for to us for after saying this is the covenant I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my laws on their heart and I will write them on their mind he says have I gone far enough yet? I will, re- okay, I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more now where remission of the, these is there is no more offering for sin having therefore brothers boldness to enter into the holy place by the way if you contrast that with what he said before there is an offering for sin which proves that it didn't work right? Or it did work, but it has to be renewed every year. It didn't take away sin, right? Now he says, hey, there is no sin. There, there is no more offering to take away sin eternal. It's been taken away, so you don't have to do it, right? This is usually quoted as saying, oh, I can't believe you'd think, even think about having sacrifices again. Well, go read Zechariah chapter 14, and they're going to be again. Well, I think the key there is, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about eternal yeah, so redemption. What he's saying is, in addition to the ones before not being able to take away sin eternally beforehand, before Yeshua, now that he's done it, they still know. They still know, yeah. It didn't change. But no, but it's also saying that he doesn't have to offer it anymore. Mm-hmm. 
That's, and that's actually the focus, because it's on the contrast from what it did at the beginning of chapter 10. Having therefore, brother, brothers, boldness enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by the way which he dedicated for us a new and living way through the veil that is his flesh, and having a great kohen over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together as the custom of some. I've gone too far. Okay. Wow. Let's answer the questions. What's the purpose? Eternal redemption. Perfection of the worshipers. To take away their sins, to cleanse their conscience and eternal inheritance. Now, he's done a little bit of a contrast there to point these out. But that's not been his focus. His focus is to draw upon the comparison first. And then to show these contrasts. Remember how you were reminded every year of your sins? You should take them away forever. Isn't that a better sacrifice? And again, important to note, none of those words or phrases is ever used no. in any of the offerings of the, no. of the Torah. These are totally different words being used. That's exactly right. The comparisons use the same words. The contrasts use different words. What are the steps? Yeshua offered himself, himself, 727. By his own blood in the heavenly Holy of Holies, chapters, chapter 9, 11 through 14. He entered only once behind the veil and then sat down. Hebrews 10, 20 and verse, also verse 12. Only once. Who carried it out? Yeshua, our high priest. Hebrews 7, 27 and chapter 9, 24 through 25. Who is it for? All who are being sanctified. Uh, 10, 14 and 19 verse, uh, verses 19 through 22. How long was it for? How often does it have to be repeated? Once forever. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. Where was it done? Not here. It says in the heavenly tabernacle. What was it done for? I mean, it redeemed them. It redeemed us. It redeemed them once and for all. But if I'm using this as a comparison to the tabernacle, what's up with that? Well, you can have us read it, but I think somewhere in... I did, we did read it. Talk well, about no, it. there is actually one. In verse 23 of chapter 9, it says, It is therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Right. That heavens have to be purified in some sense to make this thing work. Why? Maybe in the same way that uh, you know, this, one of those Kukat things where uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The guy scratching our heads going, okay, yeah, what are you saying? The, the bull and the goat hide they burn it up. He's got to wash for you. Yeah, it's like the yeah, ashes of red heifer. What's up with that? Now, why why do I get dirty, and then you're going to sprinkle him, and then that makes me clean? <laughs> But the important there is heavenly tabernacle. Wait, wait, wait. Heavenly focus. I, I don't want to. I don't want to preempt a couple of weeks from now. Uh, isn't the tabernacle not made with hands? Yes, it's in heaven. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a heavenly tabernacle, and it's to sanctify that heavenly tabernacle. You would think that it was already sanctified, wouldn't you? Right. Here's the key, and it, I don't want to preempt a couple of weeks from now because this is this is kind of part of it, though. But let's just consider this. 
if the tabernacle is a picture of reality, which has two parts. Say that again? If the tabernacle on earth. on earth is a picture of reality, which is actually what it said in chapter reality 9. Reality in the heavens, yeah. No, just reality, period. Okay. It has two parts. One part that you can see and one part you can't see. Right. Which is the heavenly part? Body of one cannot see. Hmm. And now the veil has been torn. Now if I'm going to have a king reigning here on earth and a temple on earth, which is his people, as it were. He's going to dwell among us. What needs to happen? At least once. The Holy of Holies needs to be ever-increasing levels of holiness. Okay, Ever-increasing levels of holiness. We'll talk about it again in a couple of weeks when we, get to, when we get to this point in chapter 9. Okay? Wait, 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 wait. This, this, this is Not that you got to come back a couple of weeks. <laughs> what I'm is that, let me just swallow what you just said. And so basically what we're saying is that not only did Yeshua become the sacrifice here on the earthly tabernacle. No, he was a sacrifice in the heavenly tabernacle. Also the heavenly He was a sacrifice in the heavenly tabernacle. This didn't deal with the earth. It doesn't deal with the earth at all, yet. Well, I thought the veil was split in two. Yeah, but that, it, it's not speaking of that here. It's not okay. speaking of that here. That, that's simply symbolic. Okay. What was... What, how is it that, as, as we saw that the, that the first followers of Yeshua, after his resurrection, continued to go to the tabernacle, right. continued to go to the temple to worship, they t- continued to participate in the entire system. Why? Because it worked. That's where God was. Yeah, that's where he was. You know, Yeshua was, okay, he was here, yes, but he's not here anymore, so this is, this is the next best thing. Right? If he were to come back, he would not be a priest. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, if he were to come back, he would not be a priest. While he's in the heavenlies, he's our high priest, but when he's here, he's not. Why? We have two different orders, two different domains. We have a domain in heaven, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Yeshua's high priest forever. Through, through the power of an incorruptible life, he will never die. We have a priesthood on earth that's a chukad olam, it's eternal, but the priests keep dying. Every year we've got to get a new one. Right? <laughs> Not every year, but almost like that. Yeah. <laughs> so we have two different domains, two different operating systems, as it were. But this one on earth is somehow, it's a pattern. Even Moses made it as the pattern. It's a pattern of what is in heaven. But it's also a pattern of something else. And chapter 9 of Hebrews, is, that's exactly what he's doing. He's giving us what the pattern is. It's profound. It's unknowable except from this glimpse. What does it mean? Why are there two parts? What's that mean? Well, for now, just rest assured that the holy place in heaven has been atoned for. It's been atoned for. Okay? It's safe. For now, it's safe. It is forever atoned for. It is working. Okay? We'll get back to this in a couple weeks when we get to the tabernacle. What Korban was offered? Hebrews 9.14 and verse 28. Hebrews 10.10 10 through 12. Yeshua himself, he was the Korban. Did it cleanse of sin? It does it, right? Well, it does. It does cleanse of sin. Now, the, uh, you know, young people are cleansed from sin too, temporarily, right? The washing of the flesh every year, right? This cleansed from sin as well. If the if Yom Kippur cleansed, if the blood of bulls, goats, the ashes, of red heifer purified, how much more? 
Did it take away sin? Ah, this is where we have a contrast. Yes, it took away sin. Forever cleansed the conscience of the worshippers. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. Did it provide atonement? Yes. I had to go to Romans 5 for this because the word atonement is not found in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Did it provide atonement? Yes. Romans 5.11. Sorry about that. I should have included it, but I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, did it make the perfect people perfect? Yes. Hebrews 10.14. It made the people complete. Nothing could be added. He's, he was on the cross, and what did he say? It is finished. Nothing could be added. Did it cleanse the conscience? I got a question on that. Huh? Now, if it made them perfect, they, should, is that more... This, the flesh is still flesh, though. Ah, good point. Which is exactly why when the worshippers, Peter and John, when they entered the temple, what did they have to ca- take care of? Themselves. Bingo. They had to make sure that they followed the very protocol that was laid down, that they did not have emissions of any sorts, did not have sores or whatever else, unless they washed right until evening, and then they had washed or whatever else. How about Paul with a dead body? So is that spiritually perfect rather than physically I think it's, yes, I think it's spiritually perfect only in that sense. Yes. It, it would have to be. That's for, a good That's a very good point. Where the apostles would never go back to That's them. right. That's right. Not only that, we know that Paul did. Chapter 22 of Acts, he's offering sacrifices. And the, um, including a sin sacrifice. And uh, Paul's talking about our corruptible flesh at the end of the Very good. Season. Excellent. We have a corruptible flesh. That's right. Now, think about it. Is that what we not is that not, not what all believers understand and know? Well, I'm I am perfect in, in God's economy I am, but well, you know, I sure ain't living like it all the time here. Do I need to get forgiven every single time I sin? No. Should I ask? Should I appeal to his grace? Well yes. But is it necessary to get forgiven? No. It's been done. That's right. Romans 7. Exactly right. Uh, Did it make a way to draw near? Yes. That's exactly what he says. That we can draw near with confidence. Where? All the way into the Holy of Holies. Ah. Now, think how cool that is. Not only do I get to approach God on the outside, I get to go in like high priest. That is cool. Time out. Time out. And because this is where, if if you do not atone your cleanse your flesh, you cannot still enter the holy of holies. Actually, you could. No, no. Not. The, I'm not talking about the physical one. I'm not talking about the tabernacle or the temple as we see in 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 this physical sense. Okay. We're talking about the tabernacle in heaven. Okay. So we're still talking about the heavenly tabernacle. We're talking about the heavenly tabernacle. Right. We're not talking about the earthly tabernacle at all. In fact, if I were, if the ta- temple was standing, and if I walked into the holy of holies, there's no doubt in my mind I would be struck dead as a doornail. <laughs> because again, what is the issue being first there? It's completely different. Totally different issues, that's right. That is dealing with an interaction with God. Yeshua is dealing with a, a communal fellowship with God for eternity. Eternity, that's right. On a totally different plane. Now, totally different wait, here's the, here's the preview for a couple of weeks from now. Will the, ever, will, the, will, the, will the two, the two are one, but will they ever be perceived as one? I think so. You know the big question? Are we going to be in heaven or are we going to be on earth? (laughs) 
Actually, you know, am I going to stand an eternity in heaven or am I going to be on earth? In the, in, Both. In the New Jerusalem. <laughs> the New Jerusalem doesn't have a temple. The book of Revelation gives this conundrum. It actually presents the conundrum in chapter 22. It speaks of heaven and it speaks of earth. Where are you going to be? So, but in the, in the New Jerusalem, the world to come, it actually does, it says there is no temple. So Why are there, is there no temple? Because it's the United. The temple. Mm. It's it's no temple. It's no he says there is no temple. There is no temple. There is no, no temple. There are no oceans. There are, there are no oceans. 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 Did it work? Yes, it worked. And much more. Do you understand the problem that we have? We read this book as if it were a book of contrasts. Whenever time he says how much more, we're left scratching our head going, what's he talking about? It was a bad thing. You know, when I read, you know, God bless him, when I read Matthew Henry's description of these things, you know, I just want to wonder, well, it was so bad, then how can Yeshua be so much more better? If it was that bad, if it was so ugly and so icky, then how is this better? If it's more of the same. <laughs> All right. Almost done. As we've seen, the writer wants the reader to correlate what occurred on Yom Kippur in the Tabernacle Temple to what Yeshua has done. The frame of reference for the reader was the earthly tabernacle. So using it, he explains the eternal nature of Yeshua's sacrifice. These chapters were never meant to be a denigration of the earthly tabernacle, the earthly priesthood, nor the earthly korbanot, the offerings. The purpose was not to contrast. Well, we know in some ways it was to contrast. But its purpose, its frame of reference was to compare and to emphasize how much more Yeshua is able to cleanse us. Any final comments? These people, again, that are being written to, they can't go be a part of the Yom Kippur in a sense anymore. Yeah. They are, I mean, in a sense. They are still in Jerusalem. Right. And they, didn't, they, they don't actually offer But now the high priest has said, listen, you have to deny Yeshua if you're going to come in here anymore. Well, you know, I don't get to come in here anymore. What are you talking about? How can I possibly... Why? You know what? A, what a precious thing taken away from me. Okay, maybe I'll maybe I will deny him. Just you know, because it doesn't really matter. It does matter, and that's the point that the writer's making. It does matter. The most important thing has been accomplished. Sure, it was great, but it'll be great again. And how much more is it great with what Yeshua has done for you? Let's close in prayer. My Father, thank you for this. Uh, these chapters that we've been looking at we thank you for Yom Kippur and the beautiful pictures that are drawn from and represented in it Lord we are so glad that you have done all that is necessary Father if we had lived during the time when Yom Kippur was celebrated in the Holy Temple we would have danced too and Father how much more would we dance now knowing that Yeshua has set us free once and for all from sin we praise your name in this way. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Elohim melech ha'olam Asher natananu Torah temet Vekai olam natabitokhenu Baruch atah Adonai Noten ha'torah Amen. Blessed art thou Adonai our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the Torah of truth and planted eternal life in our midst. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen.